Father, in light of that truth of your faithfulness, of the fact that you will always walk with us, we will never be alone, that you go before us to lead us as the eternal King, in light of this truth, we submit ourselves to you this morning. We ask that you would lead and guide us. We ask that you would show us what it is that you would have us to do. And then, as you have promised, give us the strength and the courage and the grace and the mercy to do it. We acknowledge before you this morning that you have set this task before us of living this Christian life and living it together as brothers and sisters, and that's not always easy. And you've given us a mission to go out into the world and share your love with other people. And that is not always easy. Yet you have called us to it. And we know that the one who is faithful to call us is actually the one who is faithful to do it. So use us as your instruments as we care for people in this building and outside of this building. And guide us into your truth this morning as we look at it together. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, folks. Have a seat. I know that you come here on Sunday mornings looking at least in some part, there's a lot of reasons to come to church on Sunday morning, but at least in some part you come for valuable information for your life. And so I come to you this morning with exciting news from the world of ketchup. Yes, you heard me right, the world of ketchup. You may not know the numbers, but I'm sure you've had the experience. Ketchup flows at approximately, just approximately, 0.028 miles an hour. Less than three hundredths of a mile an hour. That is six times slower than a Galapagos tortoise, if you need something to relate that to. The exciting news, that's not the exciting news. The exciting news is that MIT mechanical engineers and nanotechnologists, I am not making this up, are working on new technology to speed up the flow of ketchup. Now, I know what you're thinking. We've all done it. We've tried to, you know, put a little water in there and shake it up to thin it. We're not going to thin your ketchup. We're going to speed its exit, okay? And they're working on technology to coat the inside of ketchup bottles with a special high-tech substance that will allow it to slide out faster. Now, did I deliver or what? I told you I had exciting news from the world of ketchup, and that is truly exciting. And I'm so thankful for it because I am not a very patient person. And the last thing in the world that I have time for is to wait for the ketchup to come out of the bottle and hit my cheeseburger so I can start to eat it. I've got more important things to do. Uh, I need to share a little bit of a revelation with you, a little admission. I am the one. Tim and I uh, divide responsibilities. There's a lot of things to do around here, and he does some things, and I do other things. And one of the things that I do is I organize the teaching schedule. I plan out what's coming up in the next 
months and weeks, we talk about the subjects that we want to talk about and teach about, and I'm the one that puts the schedule together and decides who's going to speak when. And when I saw that this one was on the list, I was tempted to tweak the schedule. Tim accuses me of doing this all the time. He says, hey, how come I'm the one that's got to speak on that? You know, if there's a real tough one or something. Uh, I don't do that typically. Uh, but I was tempted this time because we're getting to the end of our series in First Thessalonians, and our topic this morning is be patient. And uh, I have to tell you that I am not the most patient guy in the world. In fact, I don't even think I'm the most patient guy that lives in my house. Um, so this is a message for me this morning too. But uh, we've been talking the last few weeks about this subject, really. If you've been here the last two weeks, Tim has talked about being persistent and being steadfast. And in those messages, he talked about really the importance of patience and perseverance in all areas of our Christian life and in our growth and in our maturity and our character and our patterns of life and living. But today as we talk about being patient, we're going to talk about it in another area of the Christ follower's life and that is patience with each other. Over in Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul said it this way. Maybe you've heard this verse before. He said, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. You see, God intends for us to be interconnected and interdependent. I didn't plan for them to show that small group video this morning about flying solo, but it's very appropriate for what we're talking about here. God did not intend for you and I to live this life alone, either our natural lives or even our Christian lives. And this morning, as we look at this passage, I want you to see that God calls us to care for those who are struggling spiritually. He calls us to that. And I want to read a couple of verses from 1 Thessalonians for you this morning. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, and 15. And this is what Paul says. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, if you've been here very much, when I've been the one that's been up here talking, you know that I like to look at all of these individual words, and, and I don't want to bore you with that. I don't want to frustrate, it, frustrate you with too much information. But it's so important as we look at these passages to see what these words uh, mean. And I want you to notice right in that first part of the verse, Paul says, we urge you, brothers. Now, the word urge here is a word that means to come alongside, to encourage, to make the right decision. And this is a word, actually, that is used to describe what the Holy Spirit does for us. If you were here a few months ago, I know you all have very good recall of everything that we talk about here, so this will simply be a refresher. But over in John 14, 15, and 16, I feel like Tim Yates up here. They'll get it in about, at about 3 o'clock, Tim. I think you're probably right. But 
about in John 14, 15, and 16, when Christ was talking to the disciples, he said, I'm leaving. And they said, oh, please don't leave us. We're never going to be able to do this without you. And he said, don't worry, I'm going to send you another comforter. Remember that? Another comforter who's going to come alongside you. He's going to, he's going to dwell in you. I've been with you, but he's going to be in you. And the word that Jesus used to describe what the Holy Spirit was going to do for them is the word that Paul uses here. That is to come alongside and to encourage to make the right decision. So Paul says, I'm coming alongside you, my brothers and sisters. He was talking to the church at Thessalonica, but he is talking through the Holy Spirit to us today, 2,000 years later. He says, I'm coming alongside you, and I'm trying to encourage you to make the right decision. This is so important that Paul is using all of his influence. He is using his relationship with the church at Thessalonica to impress upon them the importance of caring for each other. Now, I have absolutely no idea how much cultural credit I have in your life right now. Some of you don't know me at all. Some of you have known me for a few months, but some of you have been here for many years. If I have any cultural credit with you at all this morning, I want to do what Paul did for them, and I want to urge you to care for those around you who are struggling spiritually. This is incredibly important, and he's impressing that upon them, and I want to impress that upon you this morning. He says there are three types of spiritual strugglers. Three types of spiritual strugglers. The first one is the idol. The idol. Now, when we think about the word idol, what do we think about? We think about uh, couch potato, right? He's idle. He just sits around. He doesn't do anything. But that's not really what this word means. See, this is why it's so important that we dig into these a little bit. It literally means the one who is out of order. And so I pursued this a little bit to try to find a little bit more information what Paul was talking about there. And here's what I found out, that the word idle was a military term. It was used to describe someone who is out of step, someone who is who's not keeping up with the group, okay? Now, I have never been in the, the military. I've never been in the service. I've never been to boot camp. Uh, some of you guys, some of you gals that are here have been I have watched a lot of movies, though, so I know what happens, right? On the parade ground, nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, nod your head if you're awake. Okay, slightly better. Okay, so here's what happens. They go to boot camp, and what does the drill sergeant do? You read it all the time. You break them down, and you build them back up, right? You no good maggot. Or whatever. I'm not going to say what they probably say. Why? Because we got to get everybody in sync. Because this is what we do, right? This is our natural human tendency, is we just walk however we want to walk, right? You know, hey, I'm just walking. Some of us walk fast. We're walking through the mall, and Melody says, what is your hurry? Slow down. we got, you know, no schedule here. Some of us walk slow. Some of us saunter. 
But when we get into the military, we've got to break that down, bring everybody into line. There's a standard. And so when you're watching the movie or the TV show or you're there living it, the drill, the drill sergeant's saying, left, right, left, left, right? Why is he doing that? To keep everybody in sync. Because can you imagine a whole platoon of soldiers, two or three hundred soldiers, just sauntering around? Some of them are going fast, some of them are going slow. We could ask Dave. Dave knows all about this stuff, right? That would be a mess. That's the word that Paul uses to describe one type of spiritual struggler. The one who's out of step. The one who's out of sync. The one who isn't following God's design for life and faith. Now, I'm not trying to say that we're automatons, that we have to all be exactly the same, we have to all do exactly the same things. But God does give us in His Word a set of principles that we are to live by. A standard of morality, a standard of right and wrong. How we live, how we interact with other people, how we treat those around us. And Paul says one group of spiritual struggler is the person who is out of step with that, out of sync doing their own thing instead of following the standard that God has laid out. Now, I want you to notice as we walk through here in the next few minutes that for each of these three groups of spiritual strugglers, Paul suggests a unique way to care for them. Because here's the thing, you can't care for everybody the same, right? I mean, there's lots of ways that people can struggle spiritually. Tell me, has there been multiple ways that you have struggled spiritually in your life? Is every day the same? No. Is one day's struggle unique from the next day's struggle? Of course. Multiply that by the number of us that there are, and we know that there are different ways that we need to interact with each other. And so Paul gives a different way to care for each of these three types of strugglers. So here's, for the idle, he says, admonish them. Admonish them. The word really carries with the idea of logic or reason. It means to urge them to choose God's best. Now, we've done this passage a little bit out of order. We flopped a couple of things because I wanted Tom to speak about the passage that he did a couple of weeks ago. So, But right above this passage we're reading today is verse 12, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about elders. And we said elders have a responsibility to admonish you. That's part of our role in the church, to admonish you. This is the same word. As elders, we do it for you, but also you need to do it for others. You need to do it for each other. In Romans 15, 14, Paul says it this way, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and listen, able to instruct one another. That's the same word. That's the same Greek word as admonish here. Paul says, look, if you're a Christ follower, 
If you are living the way that God is calling you to, if you are faithful in his word, if you are learning and growing and asking God for wisdom and guidance, and you're submitting yourself to this way that God instructs us to live, right? Remember, remember, keeping in step. If you're living that way, then you are able to instruct each other. It doesn't always have to be me. It doesn't always have to be Tim. That's what we need to do for each other. That's why we have small groups. I can remember way back when, when we started doing this together, and I'm sure Tim got these questions too, I had a few people in my life when I said, hey, this is what we're doing, we're going to South Paris, we're going to plant a church, we're going to, we're going to do small groups, we're going to have a service on Sunday morning, the small groups. You know what I had a lot of people asking? Uh... Who's going to teach all the small groups? Who's going to lead them all? I mean, you can't do them all, right? No. Well, who's going to do it? Well, other believers. Other Christ followers are going to take the Scripture, and they're going to teach each other. Well, I uh, sure that's a good idea? Well, guess what? I know that we're not all perfect. But when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts and we have God's Word in our hands, if we're willing to actually follow it and listen to it and obey it, then we are able to instruct each other. We're able to admonish each other. We can do that. Here's a second kind of spiritual struggle. The first one is the idol. The second one is the faint-hearted This is an interesting word. It means literally somebody with an underdeveloped soul. (laughs) An underdeveloped soul. Someone who lacks courage, perhaps, or lacks perseverance. Someone who has not grown in the faith as they should have. Remember, we're talking about different kinds of ways that we can struggle spiritually. Number one, we can struggle by being out of step with what God wants for us. But we can also struggle because we're not growing like we should. We haven't grown. How sad it would be to see a 10 or a 12-year-old child walking around, not being able to form complete sentences. We would say, oh my goodness, that's a shame. There must be something very wrong there. Because at that point, they should be mature enough to form complete sentences and carry on conversations, right? Well, think about us as Christ followers. What a shame it is for us to have been saved 5, 10, 15 years and not have the understanding to do what God is calling us to do. That's what he's talking about here. Yeah, some of us are out of step. We're not doing what God wants. And some of us are just not growing. We're not progressing. We're not maturing. Every Christ follower needs to engage in the process of growth. And Paul says, for the faint-hearted, to the idle, we need to admonish them. To the faint-hearted, we need to encourage them. Again, this word is very similar to the word urge there earlier. The same prefix is there. It means to come close beside. But where admonish means come close beside and challenge. Encourage means come close beside and be gentle and be gentle. 
You see, we don't go to the one in our small group. We don't go to the one that we sit beside on Sunday mornings. We don't go to the one that we have coffee with uh, on Wednesday mornings who is not growing in the faith. We don't come to them. We say, come on, wake up, get back in line. We don't do that to that person. We encourage them. We come alongside them and we say, let's go. Let's grow. Let me help you. Let me help you mature in what it means to walk with God. It indicates a gentle, personal touch. It's possible that this person, not having grown as they need to, doesn't even understand the reasons to persevere. Maybe doesn't even comprehend fully the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And to that person, we need to gently and carefully encourage them to come along with us and grow in their faith. I want you to notice the third type of spiritual struggler here in verse 14 is the weak. We have the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak. Literally, the frail, the feeble, the one without strength. This weakness could be physical, it could be moral, or it could be spiritual. It simply means worn down. This could be someone who is struggling physically with ailments, with pain, with suffering. Or it could be somebody that's struggling with sin, struggling with their faith. They're weak in some area of their lives. And Paul says for that person, we need to help them. We need to help them. Literally means to hold on to them and to walk with them. You you know what that means, right? To hold on to somebody, to walk with somebody. If you saw an older person trying to cross the street, if I was walking along and and I saw Don and I said, oh, look at that. Look at that old man. Look at that that poor old man trying to walk across the street. (laughs) And I'm going to reach out, put one arm around him, take him by the elbow and guide guide him across the street. You don't walk away from a person like that, right? Because you look at them and you say, I don't want them to fall over. I, I think Don's probably capable of crossing the street, but I thought he was a good person to pick on. You don't walk away from a person like that, right? Because you want to help them. You don't want them to fall because they're weak, frail, feeble. Think about it this way, for those of you that have small children or small grandchildren perhaps, and you go to the pool, you take them to the pool to go for a swim and they don't know how to swim and so you're in the water with them, you don't just put them in the deep end and say, okay, swim. No, what do you do? Well, you, little girl, you grab them by the straps of the bathing suit (laughs) You go along with them, little boy, you put your hand under his belly, kick, kick. Well, you don't take your hand away. Why don't you take your hand away? Because what will happen? They'll sink. They'll sink. They'll be hurt more. You don't do that. 
And that's the word that Paul uses here. For the one that is weak, you hold on to them. You walk with them. In these three different ways in which people struggle spiritually, in the three different ways that God calls us to care for them, I want you to notice the overarching principle. Be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. Where patient here literally means long-tempered. <laughs> long-tempered. We all know what it means to be short-tempered, right? <laughs> This means to be long-tempered, the opposite, be patient. And this is where we struggle. Even if we want to be compassionate, we want to be caring, but it's tough to be patient. What is God calling us to do here? just, Just think about it for a second. Think about the one who is out of step who's not living the way that God has called them to live in some area of their lives. Think about the one who is faint-hearted, who is not growing, who is not maturing. Think about the one who is weak, either physically or spiritually. We want to be caring. We want to be compassionate. But it's difficult. It's difficult to be patient. God is calling us to slow down. Because we can't care for others spiritually if we're in too much of a hurry. If we're so focused on our schedules and our to-do lists that we don't see the hurting and the struggling around us as someone to help, but rather we see them as an interruption to what we're trying to do. He says, be patient with them all, literally, each and every one, because each and every person is unique, and each and every person has unique struggles. And we could say, well, I see this person that's hurting. I did reach out to them. I did talk to them. I did pray for them. I did help them. But what about the third time and the fifth time? And the seventh time. What about the fourth time a guy walks out of your small group and disappears for six months? What about the third time you've encouraged someone to read their Bible and to grow and to progress and not stay in the same spot? That's when it really gets tough. That's when it really gets tough. What about the one who is weak physically and struggles with chronic pain? It doesn't go away, friends. They need you to walk with them today and tomorrow and next week. Be patient with them all. Look at verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, we could take this verse as a standalone, couldn't we? Just look at that verse for a second. You could probably think of a way that that could apply in your life, right? It's kind of like the golden rule in reverse. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. 
It's kind of similar to that. We could take it as a standalone, but I'd rather look at it in the context of what we've just talked about. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. And don't repay anyone evil for evil, right? But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Why does Paul put that there? Why does the Holy Spirit tell Paul, write this next? I'll tell you why. Because there's no way for us to do this, this. There's no way for us to do this without bumping into each other. Sometimes hurting each other and sometimes frustrating each other. Someone's idleness or someone's lack of maturity or someone's weakness is going to affect you. It's going to affect you. Some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, it has already affected me today. Yep, don't doubt it. Or will in a few minutes when we get done or will tomorrow, or will next week. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Somebody's immaturity, someone's weakness is going to get in your way, is going to slow you down, is going to make extra work for you. Right? Ever had that internal conversation with yourself? I already did this once. Now I got to do it again because so and so didn't do their job. Or somebody said this, now I got to go have another conversation with them, right? How are you going to handle it? How are you going to handle it? Can I challenge you this morning? Don't be normal. That's what Paul is saying here. See that verse? You know what that means? Can I paraphrase that? Mike 2019 edition. Don't be normal. You know what that is? That's abnormal. You know what's normal? Somebody offends you, offend them. Somebody causes you more work, cause them more work. Somebody steps on your toes, stomp on theirs. That's normal. Paul says, don't be normal. Don't be normal. Don't do what the world does. Break away. Break away from the normal. Friends, God is calling you to care for those who struggle spiritually. He's calling you to that. Can I just suggest a couple of things to bear in mind? as we try to wrap our minds around this, first of all, let me challenge you that this applies to you. This applies to you. And when I mean you, I'm going to let my little index finger go like this. Okay, are you watching? No. Okay, watch. This applies to you. Okay? All of us. This applies to all of us that are Christ followers. 
Can I challenge you to work to get healthy yourself spiritually so that you can do this? No, you won't be perfect, but you need to be healthy. You need to be growing in your faith. You need to be humble. You need to be prayerful so that when we bump into each other, we can admonish, we can encourage, we can help as the case may be, as is needed. Can I challenge you to watch for struggling people? This is not difficult to see those around you that are struggling. It's very common. And then to patiently care for them. Guys, look, this whole thing, this whole thing that we're doing here, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. You recall what Jesus said in Matthew 22? Matthew 22, Jesus is having conversations with people. Sadducees, one of the religious groups, pops in, has a conversation with him. The Pharisees, another religious group, hear about it. So they come over and decide to have a conversation. And I can almost picture the Pharisees, you know, they're standing around in a circle, you know, trying to strategize on how they're going to trip Jesus up. One of the guys in the group is a lawyer. The other guys look at him and say, you're used to flapping your mouth. Why don't you ask him the question? So he says, okay. So the lawyer comes up and says, Jesus, tell me, what's the greatest commandment? Quite proud of himself because he knew there were over 600 commandments. And whatever it was Jesus said, he was confident in his intellectual ability to be able to trip Jesus up and say, well, how can that be the most important? If the... Anyway, which is the most important? And what did Jesus say? The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And the second one is just as important as the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is he saying? What was he saying? He's saying, friends, all of this is about relationship. When we come here on Sunday mornings, it's about relating to God. That's what we do when we worship and when we pray. Worshiping is not us sitting here and them standing up there and us listening and them singing. It's about us relating to God. Thank you, God, for all you've done. We acknowledge your greatness and your goodness and your grace to us. And then it's about relating to each other. How do we live this life together? That's what this is about. In this admonishing and encouraging and helping each other when we're out of line, when we're immature, and when we're hurting, is what it means to be Christian. This is what Christian love is. And if we don't do this, if we don't do 1 Thessalonians 5.14, then we are not living the Christian life. Admonishing and encouraging and helping. We're not doing it. 
By the way, this is reciprocal. You know what that means, right? Back and forth. Sometimes you need to be admonished, and sometimes I need to be admonished. And sometimes you need to be encouraged, and sometimes I need to be encouraged. And sometimes you need to be helped, and sometimes I need to be helped. And we do it for each other, and we do it while we're hurting too, and while we're struggling. God still calls us to help one another. This is impossible. Mike, I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. But this is impossible. I can't do it. You're right. We can't do it. You will fail miserably, and so will I, without the power of Jesus Christ. We need more Jesus. We need more of his grace, more of his selflessness, more of his mercy, more of his patience, don't we? So when we sing this song together, I want you to think about what you're singing. I want you to think about what we're talking about and think about the more of Jesus that you need so that we can follow through on this command that God gives us through Paul. Father, we acknowledge that there is no way that we could possibly do this without the power and love of Christ in us. Help us to be willing to submit ourselves to you, to surrender our our lives, our energy, our time to you. And help us be watchful and mindful of those around us, that we might care for each other, that we might admonish each other when it is needed, that we might encourage each other when it is needed, that we might help one another when we are weak. And may our interconnectedness be a testimony of your love to the world that is around us. Father, go with us into this community that we might be lights in a dark place, that we might be testimonies of your grace to all those that we interact with. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great week.